Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Thank you very much for those who have joined us to this webinar on the full-year presentation. We're going to go through the results overview, the financial performance, operational strategic update, and close with summary and outlook of the company going forward. Now, we have delivered the revenue of 54.6 million this year, an underlying EBITDA of 6.7 million, despite the impact of COVID and the fallout from the event in Mozambique. It's not the financial results we would have wanted to have, but we've dealt with a lot of major challenges over the last two years. We fully impaired the value of the Mozambique project, and we're trying to realize what value we can with the assets that we have remaining. The resilience of the IFM continues to be a big feature of the business and represents 56% of the order book. Our order book backlog is 100 million at the end of 2021, which provides a very good forward visibility and allows us to get into the year with some strength. Post-year end, we have had significant project delays still continue in 2022, which is why we're being cautious. And that's only because it's taking time for clients to get back into the field post-COVID and post-situations that they've also all been in. And we're focused on taking steps to strengthen our liquidity, including refinancing the medium-term notes, which we have already done. Looking ahead, we have refreshed our strategy with clear priorities for 2022, which is to stabilize the business through all these residual challenges from the pandemic, grow the pipeline, particularly with the US government, increase our balance sheet liquidity, and leverage all the investments we've already made into the business within the systems, processes, and people. We are aligning our resources to government and humanitarian projects. These are attractive markets where we've already had a long-standing track record and existing clientele. We've also established the RA Federal Services, which is a U.S. company entity wholly owned by the group, which is established to be a prime contractor with U.S. federal government departments, as we see this as a really strong opportunity to accelerate growth through securing high-quality, high-value contracts with the U.S. government. I'll hand over to Andrew for the financial performance. Great. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the slide shows the financial headlines for 2021. The revenue and underlying EBITDA numbers are in line with the figures that we communicated to the market in February. The significant number that we'll speak about throughout this presentation is the impairment relating to the Mozambique project. That was 31.5 million during 2021, and we can touch on that in detail in a couple of slides. We'll unpick these numbers in the next couple of slides. Revenue was down 9.8 million between 2020 and 2021. That's primarily relating to Mozambique. Going into the year, and as communicated last year, we'd expected that about 10 million of revenue would accrue to us from that project. That was removed post the attack in March of 2021. It's also been a very tough operating environment, as Soraya touched upon um, with respect to COVID. And albeit we thought that uh, we did have positive momentum post our interim results in September of last year. Uh, obviously, various other strains of COVID came along, led to more lockdowns, led to more disruption, um, and that still carries into today. 
with our clients uh, still expecting uncertainty around the corner and delaying the starts of new projects. Uh, gross margin decreased at 29% to 22%. There were some one-off items in that figure. There's credit provision for half a million that we took in the second half of the year. And there was also lower hotel occupancy that we experienced. But Lars will, will speak more about how inflation is affecting the business and other cost increases in a couple of slides. Uh, in terms of cash, we had 7.8 million in working capital variances, uh, negative variances in 2021. That's primarily related to inventory purchased for the Mozambique project and an increase in receivable and accrued revenue balances, about $5 million. The largest balance in there was related to a $2 million amount, which was accrued on a UN project at the end of the year. That has started to unwind just after December. Uh, looking at the CapEx figure, the $3.5 million for last year, almost entirely related to the Mozambique project. In normal times, when we're not building camps for ourselves, the company has a very low CapEx expenditure. And this year, we're expecting between $1 and $2 million. We've only spent around $200,000 in the first three or four months of this year. And we anticipate that trend to continue unless we're mobilizing for, for new significant CapEx-intensive projects. As this slide goes into detail on the Mozambique impairment charge, which in total is $31.5 million, I'll start with the $23.4 million amount where we've booked an accounting provision for both the assets on the ground in Palma and also a $7.2 million balance, which relates to offsite assets. These assets are fixed assets and inventory balances that we have in safe storage, both in port facilities in Mozambique and Kenya and Dubai. These assets, because of the storage costs involved in maintaining them, we've taken the view that we're going to be selling those in this year and accrued 1.4 million, which you can see in the lower half of this table, relating to their continued storage and sales costs. Um, we believe this will therefore increase our liquidity significantly this year once we are able to unload these assets. There's a 2.1 million in permanent asset impairment that we've booked that relates to damaged inventory, damaged fixed assets, stolen items, all relating to the attack in Mozambique. That is a permanent charge albeit non-cash. And there are additional incremental costs that we incurred through the year, primarily due to uh, storage costs and logistics costs associated with moving our assets from the various locations at the time of the attack uh, to safe storage. Uh, we have insurance claims outstanding, both in connection to the 4.5 million of incremental costs and also the 2.1 million of permanent asset impairment and reliaising with our insurers to try to get some um, some steer on when a recovery may come available. So post balance sheet um, year end, in May of this year, we refinanced the $10 million of medium term notes that we had on the balance sheet. What we've done is extended the maturity to the second half of 2024. And what investors can anticipate is a $13.6 million amount remaining on our balance sheet at half year 2022 and then 12 million at the end of 2022, as we do repay the 1.6 million of notes that was not refinanced. And I'll pass it over to Lars. Thank you, Andrew. So um, the IFM numbers held steady throughout COVID uh, with revenue more or less constant year on year, as uh, Soraya and Andrew touched upon, is 56% of the order book, which is um, a very good for us. We now service IFM contracts for UK, US, and UN clients across several geographies. Construction had a solid uptick in H2, 
but with slightly compressed margins, primarily as a result of the initial phase of large projects starting in uh, H2. And supply chain management, uh, these are predominantly 75% about long-term contracts. And we have seen some inflationary pressures in H2 as global logistics has been difficult. Logistics in general saw a price increase in latter part of H1 and continued uh, slightly in H2 as well. But we feel that it's reached a, a plateau at the moment. There was some inflationary pressure on food, uh, as Andrew mentioned as well, and some construction-related commodities as well. Uh, this is mainly because of the instabilities and global inefficiencies due to COVID lockdowns and, and so on. There is, in general, an issue with supply chain across the globe. Many ports, uh, particularly in the US, are uh, experiencing huge backlogs um, and delays in traffic. So during the year, we saw new awards and uplifts and extensions of USD 40 million. Now, there is a lot of movement in the order book, but as the humanitarian sector currently, for a number of reasons, are rolling over or um, extending larger contracts rather than going through full tender processes, these are values that we normally do not announce. Um, this slows down the order book slightly, but as we come out of this COVID era, uh, we believe we'll see a new momentum in, in this as well. So this new awards uh, took us to an order book of USD 100 million at the end of the year. Uh, and as we said, 56 of this being high value IFM contracts. So as discussed earlier, we have taken out some 72 million from the order book, predominantly relating to Mozambique and the uncertainty in that area. During the year, we delivered on 55 million worth of contracts. And now it's worth noting that this order book excludes the Danakali uh, project where we're still a preferred contractor and Cherokee Nation projects. The graph to the left really shows a clear story of how we are continuing to remain strong in humanitarian while growing the government sector. Uh, Soraya will speak a bit more about this later on in the presentation, but the US market has seen particularly strong growth over the last couple of years, and we see this as an important driver of our future growth. We have always seen a stronger overlap between our humanitarian and government clients, both in terms of geographies they focus on and and the type of services that, that they need and that we deliver. Commercial clients is still of interest to us, uh, but going forward, we will be more selective in this sector while we focus our effort and align our resources to grow these large and underserved markets within the humanitarian and government sector. It also fits with our new and more focused business model. So with an 18-year track record working with 19 different agencies and missions across several geographies, uh, we're speaking obviously about the United Nations predominantly, the order book contains a few UN contract renewals, which is an indication of our service levels and clients' appreciation. And we feel that we have a strong relationship going forward with the UN and we will continue to pursue them. We continue to target IFM contracts and are pursuing current clients in new geographies. And as an example, there is, for instance, World Bank that we have serviced in South Sudan for many, many years and are now breaching into new geographies like Central African Republic and elsewhere. UNICEF is another example of a UN agency that we've been servicing in Somalia and are beginning to service as well in other geographies. We're also building relationships with UN entities we have not previously worked with and now putting a renewed effort into to this sector as well. Pre-COVID, this sector delivered about 30 million of revenue at attractive margins, and we are confident that we will be able to grow this to similar level as COVID tapers out. We're also exploring DFIs, uh, so funding larger infrastructure projects in Africa and Asia. 
UKF has, for example, increased its investment in Africa to over two billion pounds. And this is an attractive market that we have past performance in many of the geographies and also with many of the services that they are requiring. So this is a new area that we're pursuing as well. So over the last six years, we have serviced the UK uh, Ministry of Defence and FCDO in several geographies, and we're continuing to grow. We are now pursuing some of those larger framework contracts as well, such as the OSCC, which is the Operational Support Capability Contract, and also some of those base management contracts in, in Africa and in remote areas such as the Falklands, etc. All these contracts are pretty much in our sweet spots as well as a one supplier format that we deliver. Uh, we kind of kind of cover the whole of these framework contracts as well. We have seen revenue from the UK government transitioning from more construction related in the beginning and to into more of the IFM related projects as well. You might recall from previous years presentations, IFM obviously normally higher margin um, work as well. I think over the years, uh, MOD have really recognized the value we add through our one supplier model. And we're really building on that relationship at the moment. I shall hand over to Soraya. Thank you, Lars. And to talk a little bit more about RA Federal Services. RA Federal Services is the investment that we've made using all the systems and processes that we've developed over the last 18 years, along with the clients that we have worked with on US projects abroad. And we've established Federal Services, which has a fantastic executive team one of whom has had 35 years in government contracting and very large government contracting companies. Second one is an ex-major general from the U.S. Army. Third gentleman is, has come out of diplomatic security. So his background and experience is with embassies around the world. And the reason for the RAFS is actually to leverage everything that we have done and put it into a package where we can be a prime contractor for the US government. Now, the US government has different types of contracts that we have already been working with, but generally as a second or third tier subcontractor. With the RA Federal Services, this allows us to bid directly on contracts that are IDIQ, which mean indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, one of which we've highlighted here, which is the global cap contract that can be $3 billion contract awarded to five companies through which the US government can deploy work over those five companies for approximately three years, the term of the contract. And it allows the US government to deploy things like FM services, construction services around the world. Base operations service contracts as well are very, very ideal and in our sweet spot as we've got a lot of experience doing that. And REFS can now bid directly for those contracts. We're also going to continue with our teaming agreement with Cherokee Nation that we've done very well with, uh, whereby we can have sole source contracts up to $50 million, $100 million. And this also, the our federal services strengthens our partnerships with people like IAP, with whom we have a master service agreement, ECC and Sinceris. So the RAFS service is actually a really targeted to get into very strong long-term US government contracts where majority of these contracts are around the globe, not in North America. And we've already got a lot of experience and building on the past performance to deploy across these contracts. Now, the federal services will be able to deliver full-scale capability 
without the double pricing of having a contractor above us and potentially a contractor above that contractor, which is what we've seen in the past. So we're now going to have an independent board. We've got a fantastic team there, which will enable us to have a clearance at some uh, within this year, we hope. And this will enable the past performance to actually get us into the bigger U.S. government contracts that we've been unable to access to date because we've not had a structure or a vehicle in the United States to allow us to self-perform and actually bid directly. Now, most of the competitors in this market do not operate in Africa or the Middle East or across, and the REFS is going to be aggressively targeting that, and we've already had fantastic momentum in the first six months of this year, uh, where we look forward to being invited onto a lot of bids and a lot of uh, uh, bidding for contracts closer to the third quarter of this year. Value creation roadmap. We've got some very clear priorities for 2022 as we stabilize the business. I've spoken about how we're going to grow the pipeline, particularly in the US. And through growing this pipeline, we will be converting it into our order book. We're going to look at strengthening our liquidity and leveraging the investment that we've already done in the business over all these years working for the variety of clients that we have to actually go further in and pick on these government contracts and the humanitarian sector quite aggressively, as Lars spoke about earlier, where potentially we have worked in certain UN clients that we have not actually targeted, or certain countries for other clients, such as the EU and others that we have not worked with before. And this, we hope, will deliver on significant and longer-term, again, IFM contracts and attractive gross margins and increase our EBITDA and, again, build the balance sheet and build the order book. So, in summary, 2022 is a year of us stabilizing the business. As we come out of the tail end of COVID and the circumstances that occurred in Mozambique, we're very cautious and we are being cautious for this year because it's still a challenge, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. We've established the federal services after years of, of work in developing the structure in the U.S., which is going to allow us to bid directly for U.S. work, where our pricing and past performance is actually placing us in a very good position for valuable contracts. We've taken steps to strengthen our liquidity and we're confident that we can mobilize for these projects that we anticipate bringing onto our order book. We've aligned our strategy and resources to do more with the government and humanitarian sectors to enable us to build a more valuable business. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The first question is, what's the shape of the pipeline? Is it stronger than six months ago or the same? And what's holding things back from contracts being awarded? As I, as I mentioned earlier, um, the RA Federal Services has been up for the last six months, but we're still awaiting the final pieces of paper that allows us to bid on certain types of contracts. We are looking forward to some extremely lucrative and larger size contracts uh, further in September that we will be bidding for. These will all be converted for a pipeline for an order book for 2023, 24 and 25, because we're trying to do at least three years of a stronger pipeline. We've not included uh, any work in our pipeline from Danakali as we await them to restart. And we also have two contracts that are under negotiation with our partner, Cherokee Nations, that we haven't actually included. So I think that going forward, we will be able to go back to 
um, you know, a much higher uh, pipeline. I'm trying to be conservative here and cautious because we're still stabilizing the business. But we're very confident that we can build a much bigger pipeline and convert it to order book, which is the key for 2023 and going forward. Thank you. And can you give us the latest on the ground with Mozambique? Cabo Delgado is still under military operations with uh, limited access. Uh, we have um, managed to get back onto site and have secured our camp and the assets there. There is uh, recently an increase in insurgency activity as the rainy season has come to an end. Um, this has pushed back the, the clearing of, uh, of particularly Macomia district in, uh, in Cabo Delgado. Uh, but I think some forces are again regrouping and, and trying to counter this uh, re, reinsurgency. Total indicated earlier in the year that uh, they foresaw start maybe in 2023. Uh, we do see some activity already on the ground with some facilities uh, opening up um, and we're monitoring this closely, obviously. Um, there is um, also some increased activity from donor community uh, focused particularly on infrastructure and schools and, uh, and so on. Uh, as Total has indicated as well, they will not return until everyone has been resettled and government is, is, uh, is uh, back in, uh, in full force in, in Cabo Gado. And uh, government has opened up schools, medical clinics and, and most government buildings such as municipalities, police stations and fire stations and so on. Uh, but the situation is a little bit fluid still uh, and um, there is a little bit more work to be done there. Does realising the asset value in Mozambique imply that you won't be going back to operate there, even if Total restart the project? Uh, no. So of the assets that we've impaired, uh, as I mentioned, there's two buckets. There's those located off our campsite, uh, which was a $7.2 million uh, amount. And then there's the other bucket, which relates to assets on our campsite. Uh, of the $7.2 million, the, the calculus with respect to deciding to sell those simply due to the uncertainty regarding when Total will restart work. Uh, and the storage costs involved in keeping them. So we've decided to, to move off those assets um, as quickly as we can to limit the storage costs and also um, bring the cash onto our balance sheet. If Total does move to restart, um, we can simply buy the assets again and move forward on that basis. The assets on our camp facility, uh, that the most likely recovery of those assets will be through the, the restarting of the Total development albeit uh, there are other companies looking to, to work in that region uh, once the security situation calms down. As for the insurance claim for some or all of the $2.1 million, what's the maximum we can expect this to yield? And how watertight is this claim? So the I can't comment on how watertight the claim is uh, because we're in discussions with the insurance company. I'm sure they have a different view of, of the uh, watertightness of the claim uh, than we do. Uh, and in terms of the value, it's significant. Uh, it exceeds 50% of the amount. Thank you. And is what's already been impaired the maximum amount that will be impaired with regard to Mozambique? So we've written off all assets uh, connected with the project. And we've also accrued for storage costs related to the offsite assets for 2022. Uh, at present, uh, we fully expect it to be the maximum amount written off. It would only be if there are costs that are incurred post 2022 related to the, uh, the assets and storage, or if there's any other significant costs associated with the project in 2022 that we haven't foreseen uh, where there would be additional impairment. 
Does forming RAI Federal mean that US projects can be awarded directly, or will you still partner with companies such as Cherokee Nation? So this means that uh, we can contract directly with the US government, uh, and that's the reason we, we kind of set it up as well, to cut out um, the, the subcontractor relationship. doesn't mean that we will do that completely. We still have a very, very good relationship with Cherokee Nation, and we'll continue to, uh, to pursue contracts together as we do with some of the other US parties and entities that we work with uh, in framework agreements and so on. But this definitely sets us up for, for direct bidding towards uh, uh, and contracting with the US government. Thank you. And has weakening of the balance sheet prevented you from bidding for future work in the period? Uh, no. So we're still, we still have a significant amount of cash on our balance sheet. Uh, and we have a significant track record of performance uh, even before we were a public company where we had uh, much less resources than we do now. Uh, but one of the reasons that we did go through with the, the refinancing earlier this year and pushing out the, the debt maturity uh, was to, to increase um, things like our current ratio, uh, which is looked at by uh, clients when adjudicating projects. Uh, additionally, we've signed a working capital facility for 10 million pounds uh, which is available over the next three years, which we don't have any intention to draw on, but it does provide us with available cash, uh, which is something that's assessed again by our clients. Thank you very much. And um, could you just clarify again the distinction between RA and RAFS? Am I right in understanding that other than a separate entity or subsidiary being established, it's primarily being formed around some new key US-focused personnel that have joined the group? The RAFS is a wholly owned subsidiary of RA uh, International. And it just operates with an independent team uh, to enable it to have clearances and to bid on certain types of contracts that require clear personnel to operate it. The gentlemen that have joined the team, three of them are people that have, one in particular has been with us for seven years, the other one for four years. So they're very well versed with RA International. And we've only expanded upon the team with an additional two individuals, I would say, that are new to us but we've been working very closely for the last nine months with them so that we can have a very cohesive, very strong uh, executive team to go out there. The RA Federal Services is, is, has been developed to win more valuable US government work through direct bidding as a prime contractor. As I said before, we were sometimes second or third tier, uh, third tier uh, a sub and in that case in one particular one uh, bid we had a price of 32 million and the contractor above us added 10 million as their margin thus making it 42 million which was 1 million over and above what the contract budget was so in this case if we have the ability to bid directly it allows us to go in with a good pricing good strategy and the ability to, to self-perform these projects because we already have the past performance. Thank you. And when do you see RAFS contributing meaningfully? Well, from our side, we have given it this year to get through the hoops and all the uh, 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 structure it requires so that it can actually start bidding on work probably by the fourth quarter of this year to enable 2023 
and 24 to come in quite strong with work for 23-24. If it happens sooner, we'll be very excited, but we've planned for it to go forward for 23-24 to contribute meaningfully from 23 first quarter. Thank you. And can you cover again what you're seeing on inflation? To what extent can you recover costs from customers or is it going to affect RAI's margins? I think it's, and Lars can touch on this as well, um, some of our, our contracts were signed quite a while ago in their fixed price contracts. So we're seeing effects on the margin um, on some of the contracts where we're supplying food, uh, both related to food inflation and logistics inflation. Um, in some cases on those long-term contracts, we've been successful in renegotiating with the client uh, for, for upticks in price uh, based on the recent inflationary pressure. Uh, but on new projects, this is something that we can build in um, and specifically on commodity prices, it's something that we can enter into hedging agreements um, if, if we feel as though that's a significant risk going forward. Thank you. And um, can you give some more color on the lower occupancy in Somalia? Is this temporary or likely to continue? So this is um, a temporary um, issue. Uh, it's been um, perhaps dragging on a little bit. There was an, an election in Somalia that uh, that was uh, delayed and there was some security concerns related to this election. Uh, that together with the, the impact of COVID and traveling, uh, some of the humanitarian agencies have kind of held back uh, some non-critical uh, non and non-essential staff from traveling back into to Somalia. Uh, now, as the elections have come to a close, uh, there will be a little bit of a trying period again over the next couple of months, uh, whilst uh, the new president and his administration settles in and the supporters of the old uh, president kind of uh, comes to the realization that this is the new reality. So we see a little bit of slowdown of this and this will continue, but we, th we think that uh, towards the end of summer, beginning of the autumn, um, this will probably, you know, if COVID uh, is now... <laughs> gone conclusion that uh, that this will then start picking up again at ipo the money raised was to seek commercial contracts with for example oil exploration companies so beyond government contracts it now appears there's a change of strategy with a reversion to the historic core business to pursue government contracts could you clarify um we came to the market to raise working capital to grow the company and it wasn't specifically to target commercial clients. We wanted to target some commercial clients where the offering that we had for governments and humanitarians could easily be transferred across. We currently feel that given where we are and in order to stabilize the business and grow the liquidity, we need to focus on the low-hanging fruit, which is the existing clients in government and in humanitarian sector and grow that across to be stronger. We're not saying that we won't bid on commercial work. We're saying that in order to bid on commercial work, it would have to be something extremely special where we've been invited particularly for a skill set with uh, good margins and a full risk analysis done where we're very comfortable with the type of work it is. So uh, again, going to market was to grow the business, was to allow us to expand and do multiple contracts at the same time, which we've done because previously pre-IPO, we did not have the power to do multiple contracts at the same time. And that's what it's enabled us to do at the moment. Thank you. And could you talk a little bit about the risk profile with commercial versus government contracts? I think, um, and we've seen this evidenced over the last couple of years, 
governments and the humanitarian sector are well-versed in terms of operating both in conflict and post-conflict areas. Uh, they're often in these areas uh, because of the security situation that's either um, present or, or likely. And they plan appropriately and, and have a long-term view in terms of what their mission is, um, actively looking to both stabilize the environment and then uh, a plan with respect to how to move forward in terms of development once that, that area is stabilized. I think uh, commercial operators are obviously much more focused in terms of what their specific objective is. And you know they, they plan for risks such as an increase in security environment um, by evacuating from the facilities, uh, by suspending their projects, um, which is understandable completely. It's just uh, a contrast to the way that governments and humanitarian organizations go about doing things. I think given the, the places that we work um, and given some of the increased security threats that have resulted from COVID, uh, we now see the commercial sector as being a, a riskier endeavor for us um, on a like-for-like -like environmental basis. And as such, going forward, whereas we used to price uh, our offering in a similar fashion between all three groups, uh, we'll need to make risk-adjusted returns um, higher in terms of the commercial sector. Thank you very much. And can you explain the credit provision? Is there the same risk in elsewhere in the receivables book? So this is actually one of the reasons that we, we moved to set up RAFS. Um, one of the smaller reasons, but a, but a reason nonetheless. Uh, so often to access U.S. government contracts, as Soraya touched upon, we had to add a U.S. government prime contractor above us. Uh, so while our international might be undertaking a significant amount of the work, um, there would need to be a, a U.S. Um, company, generally with a secret or top secret clearance above us, uh, to qualify for the actual tender. Um, we've been doing this for quite some time, but it obviously adds a layer of credit risk in the in the ladder of, of payments. Um, obviously, the U.S. government is then paying the prime contractor who we rely on to, to pay us. In this specific instance, uh, the prime contractor did not pay us a portion of the contractual uh, obligations, and we've taken a, a credit provision uh, in connection with this. Um, but obviously, with the, the setup of RAFS, we're now shortening, the, shortening that ladder uh, whereby we'll be paid directly from the US government going forward. Thank you. And more broadly, how much debt capacity do you have? Yeah, so at present, we have the 12 million of new medium-term notes that we've issued, uh, plus the 1.6 million medium-term notes from the initial issuance that we need to repay in the second half of this year. But we also have access to a 10 million pound uh, line of credit uh, and various overdraft facilities um, with our, our operating banks. Thank you. And you mentioned m as an opportunity. Could you elaborate on that? Uh, yes. So we compete in quite a niche market um, in connection with some of the services we offer. So, for example, the renovation of embassies for the US and UK government overseas. Uh, the individual companies bidding on some of the tenders um, that we participate in might only be three or four. And of those three or four companies, uh, there may be one or two of those that are quite small in nature and quite specialized. Uh, so one of the areas 
but, but not the only area that we're looking at uh, is potentially um, consolidating the market with respect to those um, opportunities that we have where there really are uh, only three or four players at present. Thank you. And could you give us an update on the Donna Kelly contract status in Eritrea? Given Donna Kelly is a public company, uh, we don't want to go into too much detail on this. Um, but, but our understanding is that they're still um, undertaking fundraising. And our agreement with them, as far as we understand and, and through all of our communications, um, is still, still exists. Um, it's just a matter of them moving ahead with their project before they can formally contract us uh, to move ahead with ours. Thank you very much. And how important is ESG for your clients? So we see this as growing as well. The UK government came out with uh, legislation recently that uh, said the U- UK government entities contracting with um, uh, with companies would have to maintain a certain uh, ESG uh, credential, uh, something that RA International has. This legislation is now a, a de facto and, and MOD has reached out just recently, uh, starting talking more actively uh, about ESG with us. And we're at the moment uh, surveying a couple of uh, options for them, uh, particularly for a camp in Somalia, but also elsewhere. The US uh, government is uh, roughly a year behind with a similar legislation uh, that is also going to force uh, US uh, government to, to contract with uh, con- companies with ESG, particular ESG credentials. So this is very, very much uh, important to us. Uh, I can speak a little bit more about ESG as well, because uh, this is obviously something that we we um, take very, very seriously and, and has always been part of the um, the DNA of the company. So in uh, 2021, we, we carried out a, a very rigorous refresh of our materiality. Uh, that's to update our ESG strategy and, and to ensure it continues to be aligned with uh, particularly our stakeholders' key concerns. Um, through this, we identified uh, eight key focus areas where we set specific targets uh, and appoint dedicated managers to drive improvements in these. So we not only achieved, but we actually surpassed our scope one science-based carbon reduction targets in 2021, uh, largely thanks to the commissioning of solar panels and, and also improvements in the, in the energy efficiency. And we expanded the, the scope of our carbon reporting. Uh, in 2021, we also averaged 13% female workforce participation, and that's up from 10 in 2020. And we're on good track to achieve our target of 15 in 2022. Uh, on the uh, what we can, where we are, uh, community outreach. Uh, we provided community support by donating over 175,000 KN95 face masks to vulnerable health workers at 80 health institutions in Somalia and South Sudan, some of them in camps for displaced people. And following the terrible attack on Palma, we supported people displaced by conflict by donating almost eight tons of food, which uh, helped fed close to 3,000 adults and children in need. Um, and we also refined and strengthened our client selection process by including you know, key sustainability indicators relating to shared values, ESG alignment, and country-related risk, uh, establishing a standard process uh, sort of to, to evaluate the values of prospective clients as part of the bid process. So it's been a busy year in 2021 for our ESG agenda. Tremendous. Thank you very much. And final question at the moment. Um, Does it make sense to continue to be AIM listed? Would it be better to be listed in the United States given the recent shift of your business? 
Very interesting question. And um, I suppose it all is depends on how things are. But currently we are enlisted. Uh, we came to the UK because don't forget, we also have a lot of UK clients, Foreign Office and the Ministry of Defence. And they still continue to be very valuable and very strong clients of ours. And the UK and the US have still got the special relationship ongoing, which is actually what's allowed us to uh, have the RA Federal Services registration courtesy of this special uh, relationship that the UK and US uh, have. So I guess we'll have to see how things pan out, but we're very happy where we are at the moment. Many thanks. And that's the end of questions. Sarah, do you have any closing remarks? Well, I just want to thank everybody again for joining us and taking their time to listen to us and learning more about the company. And I hope we gave everyone a good insight on where we are for 2022 and explained Mozambique thoroughly so that they can actually get an understanding of how we've seriously we've taken it and the impairment and also uh, that people really get a grasp of what having the new RA federal services will do to the company and going forward on these larger contracts that we now have access to. So again, thank you very much to everyone for, for your time today and of course to the team. So it was great and thank you very much PI World for your support. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.